Practicing Dhamma. Dhamma is uh, one of the, is like a word that's almost difficult to translate. It means something like truth, teaching, principle, way, order, norm, natural order of things. Um, And uh, in the and the main themes about it is that, that the principle of Buddha Dharma is that there's no no fundamental thing. It's just um, so it's not like Dharma is a particular thing. It's a way or a process or an order, so a balance of things. In fact, all things, all all Dhammas, all all phenomena, all compounded things, really um, are not unitary. They're all made up of a number of things. So. It's rather like you're looking at constellations of experience. So when we see something that's made up of the eye organ, the visual object, the eye consciousness, the ability to perceive and interpret. So all sorts of factors come together to make up the experience of seeing something. So there's no real seen thing. There's, a, there's, a, there's an object, but an object can't be a seen thing unless there's an eye organ seeing it. It can't be... That can't. That still doesn't work unless it's conscious, unless it's a live consciousness. And then there's also perceptions and interpretations of the meaning of the thing. All that has to come together for us to experience a visual object. So Dhamma refers to the living experience of of what we take for reality, and it's always compounded of different factors coming together. So that's the that's the way it, all, all of it is. There's no no final thing. So there's nothing no particular thing to have or get. Everything is dependently arisen, changeable. 
There's no unitary deity creating it or final state of being. There's no self that it happens to. But there is feeling and effect and response and interpretation and meaning and memory and impulse and skillful and unskillful. It's a whole web. And uh, when we practice this, what we're practicing really is harmonizing a variety of factors. So we're coming to harmony. So we find a sense of peace because at least they're not challenging it. They're not mind isn't fighting with itself. Dhamma is one of the basic principles of experience. There are five in the Buddhist understanding of things. Five organizing principles called Nayama. And you have Uttu Nayama, which means just the uh, thing that, that uh, experience of gravity, it's a kind of say the law of in, inanimate objects. Gravity, thermodynamics, things like that. So uh, there's that law. And we all have to obey that, you know. So if I fall off a roof, it's the same as a tile, really. It just makes a different sound when it hits the ground. But basically it's the same experience. The thing just splatters. <laughs> so I'm, I'm part of that law, you know, or part of me is part of that law. You know, not gone beyond that. So we're all, it covers everything, you yeah. yeah. And you have what's called bijanayama, which means the law of uh, seeds, which refers to growth. Everything it refers to all animate objects, all animate things. They all have the nature to grow if they're alive. They grow and they multiply. Whether it's a cabbage or a skunk or a human being, it grows and it wants to multiply. That's its basic message. It doesn't get smaller. It increases, and it looks to keep increasing and multiply itself. Yeah. It doesn't decide that; it just does it. That's what it's called. That's what being having that principle is around. So it's a fixed law. Another one is uh, the law of chitta, mind. Yeah. Mind means the the ability or that that which which we often just consider. You know, what is mind? Mind is the ability to sort of internalize, or it's called internalizing something. You create, there's something, a physical reality, and there's this ability to internalize that. So to feel it without, you know, to, to re- remember it, to give attention to it, to think about it, to form an immaterial object so that, you know, you can conjure it up, you can remember it when it isn't there. You can talk about it. So, Mind is that is that capacity to to form these immaterial uh, objects. They do that. Without that, you don't have a mind. When they, when you when you have a mind, that's what it does, all the time. You don't want it to. It does. You have nightmares, uh, terrible memories, uh, stuff comes up that you don't want to be aware of, but it happens anyway. That's the law of mind. Attention. It's part of that. It means something the mind attends. It has this mind organ. And it's affected. And it responds. And we also have another, another law, law of karma. It's cause and effect of intention. So that 
when there's an intention, it gives rise to a particular effect that has a, I mean, the, that which intends experiences the effect. So uh, our mind actually is subject to all these laws and their laws, their principles. If you have an intention, it must have some kind of effect. If you intend towards generosity, it has an effect. You intend towards uh, patience, it has an effect. If you have an intention towards resentment, it has that effect. Mm. You have an effect comes out of it. And that effect becomes uh, becomes another mental object that is then established in the mind. So, you know, now what hap- what this means is that our mind continually can uh, create these immaterial objects and establish them. That is, we can have memories, we can build up particular patterns of thought, we can build up particular emotional patterns or neurosis or skillful patterns called barami, um, such as you know patience or discernment or equanimity. You can you can definitely incline that way, and you build up something that then stays there. So this, this mind, it can be something that that creates its 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 reality. It's compounded and conditioned. It's not an ultimate truth, not ultimate truth, but you can you can build these up. Mm-hmm. So this means we have a way because of this fact of mind. We have a way to either. Uh, create misery or or happiness for ourselves. That's that's the law of it, and it will tend to do that whether you want it to or not. <laughs> you know, it's not like when it, the fixed law of mind is it, it keeps creating realities. <laughs> yeah, that's its law. You can't do anything but that. Yeah. You have to experience the results. That's the law of karma. There's no way out of that. It's fixed. It's like it's like gravity. You know, you you haven't, you haven't got any choice. It's that it's that fixed. Mm. Yeah, and the Buddha says things like it is impossible that uh, skillful intention can lead to an unhappy experience. It's impossible that from the results of an intention, a skillful intention must lead to a happy experience. So it's a pretty clear indication, isn't it, of uh, what what to build up. These these uh, become field effects, They're fields. They're whole fields of merit called punya kitang, which means you build up a particular way of operating that starts to sustain itself, just like like a memory does or like a habit does. Mm. <coughs> So it's really important to 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 recognise this. Yeah. With the way we operate, we tend to experience the mind organ, mano, which is that which can which can uh, form a particular object. So it can think, it can it can form a thought, it can bring something. You know, it can hold, it can define an object in the mind, mano. And we're rather good at that. It's, uh, you know, science, math, technology, law, all about holding particular concepts and ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So that's what the mind will do. But the problem with it is we, we kind of, because of that is so powerful and so useful, we tend to believe that there is, you know, one of these objects is the final truth. Like a law or a god or a ideology is it. Yeah. Because that's what our attention can do. You can form something like that, a concept. And it looks for a unified thing. Attention always picks up just one thing. You can only pick up one thing. You can only really give attention to one thing at a time. That's the way it brings up a sense of a oneness. The law of the Dhamma is there's no such thing as a oneness. Everything is a mixture of coming together. So you could, you know, realize that the the way the mind, upper mind organ works, yeah, you've got to balance that because the the general the pattern of human beings can be that that we get very fixated on a one truth, virtue, principle, deity, belief, you know, that's it, yeah, and it gives a tremendous sense of uh, strength in a way. Because it's just the one thing. Yeah, right, that's it, I've got that, I'm there. Mm-hmm. There's a wishing to have that, to be that. This is actually uh, you know, contrary to the, the basic principle of Dhamma. This is why when, when we do that, it's unhealthy. It's fundamentally unhealthy because you were going against the real truth of the matter, which is all phenomena are inconsistent, changeable, not unified. They're all mixtures of things that are dependently arisen and can shift and change. So we say, what is the one thing in Buddhism? We say, the one thing in Buddhism is don't cling. <laughs> it's not a thing. It's, a, it's an encouragement to, to not create something. Yeah. Don't take a stand on one thing. Mm. Uh, you know, so you never see like, you know, it's not like we're looking for some kind of ultimate state of mind apart from the release from clinging. So that that particular uh, process of getting held by one thing is counteracted. And then there's this possibility for the release from mind. If you notice, we, we, you know, how is it we tend to, to consider, perhaps we only notice one thing, but say you're driving a car, you know, within that, there's a whole sense of, you know, knowing the speed, uh, knowing where you're going, um, being aware of traffic, uh, maybe having a conversation with somebody sitting in the, in the, in the next seat, Noticing whether you feel hungry or not. There's a whole range of things that can come, you know, peripherally there, you might say. They make up the experience of me driving the car. Now, at any particular time, you could focus on any one point in that and ignore the others, and that would probably be fatal. (laughs) 
you know, why they don't allow people to, to listen to, to the mobile phones in cars, because you get so absorbed in that, it, that one thing, that voice and that conversation, that you, you lose that ability to, to, to shuttle, to be, have a whole mode of awareness that comprehends the, the combinations of things, you know, like is my speed in line with the, the um, conditions of the road? Yeah. Is my speed in line with the um, traffic laws? You know, am I aware of the sound of the engine? So you've got to have all these things kind of possibly there, you know, potentially there so that you can actually drive correctly. Our life depends upon handling a multiplicity of dependently originated phenomena. And actually we do it all the time without any particular effort. Uh, and when you learn to do something, you know, then you learn generally like riding a bicycle, learning to type, something like that. You know, you're learning how to op- you're learning to type, how to operate your fingers, know the keyboard, relate the symbols on the on the page to particular, you know, messages to your fingers. A whole range of things come together. Yeah. Now you might think, you know, I'm just being attentive to writing, but actually, <laughs> that involves a whole range of, of phenomena. Hmm? Yeah. And when we meditate, one of the main uh, experiences we have is we search for a sense of an inner stillness or a, uh, a focal point, something that we can really get nice and solid and calm and steady with. Hmm. Yeah. And often when we kind of go about it in that particular way, there's a certain sense of... Uh, of uh, um, obsessiveness or pressure or inability to do it because it's not actually the way the mind operates. You have to gather together a whole range of skills, just like you know, dancing or swimming. It's how your body moves. The whole thing operates together. And you're looking at things like bringing something to mind, feeling it out, um, sensing your energies, your effort, having the right attitude of friendliness, of, you know, interest in what you're doing, all this comes together, you know, so it's bringing a whole range of factors together. Yeah. And it also, one of the uh, things we, that's very important for us as we, we meditate is, to, is that to do that, you have to come to not just the mind organ, that is the ability to hold an ob to, to to notice an object, but to the mind awareness, or chitta. So you have mind organ is the mano and the mind's awareness, receptivity, uh, where impulses and um, feelings occur, is called chitta. So meditation, as you practice it, will tend to encourage both of those, the ability to, to, to form an object, but also, perhaps even more important, the ability to how to handle any particular thought, feeling, sensation, how to step back from it, how to focus in on it, how to balance it, how to discern whether it's uh, skillful or unskillful, um, how to respond to negative states. We become more uh, compassionate, more uh, tolerant, more uh, uh, less opinionated. Mm. 
Yeah, because that's the, when you come to the jitta experience, is much more um, receptive to a whole range of factors. The mind organ tends to just focus on one thing, see things in terms of one thing, five of these, one of that. That's conceptual. The mind awareness is non-conceptual and experiences things as they are, which is, it all depends. Everything depends. It's uh, balance. Mm-hmm. Now this happens naturally, like swimming, you know. If you just focus on your arm when you swim, you're gonna, not going to get very far, are you? But you need to have your arms, your legs, your body, awareness of the water, when to breathe, then it's going to work. And if you get the right sense of it, it's a sense of alertness and yet somehow also relaxed, but fundamentally a wholeness. You can't just focus on one particular point. You, you kind of get the whole thing. And I think that's quite important to recognize because uh, the language of meditation, like word like one-pointedness, which is there, can make it seem like you just got to hold one particular point. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? But um, another way of looking at it is to recognize this experience is something that, that happens, not something you start with, but it happens when everything comes into harmony. So everything, all that varieties of, of feeling and intentionality and sensation have started so harmonious they have a unitary quality called calm and ease. Hmm? So, for example, if we're being aware of the breathing, then the energy of the breathing, the sensations of the breathing, the attitude of the mind, the energy of the mind, the focus of the mind, all start to have the same quality, which is calm, peaceful, receptive, gentle. So they, they entrain, you might say. Just like if you if you, people get a whole load of drums uh, and there's 40 people get drums and start banging away on the drums, what will tend to happen over a period of time is they'll eventually all come round to about the same rhythm. It happens. It entrains. That's what it means. We've come. So, now if this one person is just banging away on their drum and they're not going to listen to anybody else, you know, you know, they're so focused on that, the tunnel vision, that's not going to happen. If there's some awareness of the whole thing, it will tend to happen by itself. Then this entrainment, this unification, this is what is one point in us. We, start, we don't start with that. We start with bringing things to mind, bringing something to mind, bearing it in mind, evaluating it. And we start with the intention to, for skillfulness, for uh, calm, for clarity, for being purely aware of what's happening, coming to the present moment, things like this. You, 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 bring a, you cultivate deliberately. And releasing the unskillful, the agitated, just saying, that's enough of that, put that aside, or relaxing it, or working with it so it becomes softer, gentler, and it starts to ease out. So I like smoothing out uh, uh, a torn sheet or or calming a, a frightened animal just keep stroking it till its agitation ceases so unific- unity comes around like that and it requires a, quite a, a comprehensive energy not just a, a simple uh, hold this but, a, but a, a holistic 
approach. Yeah. Now you don't have to figure it all out because it's just like swimming. If you had to, every time you took a stroke, you had to think about what your foot was doing, your leg was doing, each hand was doing. It doesn't work like that. Imagine trying to figure out how to eat. But you 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 just get the basic sense of, (laughs) of it and it starts to come together by itself. You don't find yourself having to, you know, sticking a cucumber up your nose because you forgot where your mouth was. It, it sort of... <laughs> you know, everything works together. Unless you're really, really absent-minded. You know, you might possibly poke a gherkin in your ear or something. But you've got to be pretty out of it to do that. So it doesn't require massive amounts of concentration does it? Like really good hold of that and tighten up to get it in there. There's a little hole down there somewhere that's got to get in. <laughs> it's, all, it's all part of the nature of things to, to do that. And it's rather lovely to, to just consider that you know, there's something there for us. There's inclination. Fundamental inclination is towards calm, towards unity, towards friendliness, towards relaxation, towards ease, towards peace. And it's it's that's the basic. You might say it's just like the rhythm of drums. It's almost like the entraining signal that's there. And if you keep with that, it doesn't seem very clear. It doesn't seem very precise. You can't really define it as some thought or object, but it's almost like an instinct or an intuition. Then things will come together around that. So a lot of this is, is about, because that is not, where's that? What's that? Is it an idea? No, not really. Is it faith, maybe? No, that's part of it. Uh, who knows? You know? But it, there is this, for human beings, there is this nature. There's a very lovely sutta where the Buddha talks about the process of liberation being dhammata, which means, could say, natural or in accordance with nature. And he uses it because he's saying when you establish certain uh, fundamental principles, then you don't have to keep struggling. It's in accordance with nature that there will be this result. So one who establishes virtue and stays with that and inclines towards that and is bearing that in mind, the result will be freedom from remorse and regret. You don't have to make some effort to get rid of it. You'll, you'll be there. That will happen. And he goes this whole process whereby you know, the freedom from remorse and regret makes the heart feel some gladness, some sense of relief, gladness. Uh, this can... Uh, bring calm into the body calm in the body makes the mind feel happy happy mind easily settles down and becomes unified no, it's a, and he said all this is in accordance with nature you don't have to make an extra intentional effort on top of that so something you know, about that way in which these multiple factors will come together if we don't bodge it up and there are different ways of bodging it up. One way is to, is to 
uh, um, you know, to, to, to lose, you know, to slip out of the screen, you might say. You know, we drift off into something, get captured by something. So the mind spaces out. You know. And the other is to tighten up, to hold it too hard. We don't allow this natural quality to be felt. And maybe you might say the most important uh, way of looking at this, most simple way of looking at it is you bear everything, you bear it, you have a, 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 a chitta connection to it. That is, you, you feel it, you sense it. And you're not just thinking it, you're sensing what you're doing. And you get a feeling for it. You know, it's not a very powerful feeling, mildly agreeable, mildly disagreeable, um, slightly disappointed, feeling a bit, you know, Mm, lack of trust or slightly optimistic or buoyant. You stay in touch with that place. Whatever the feeling is, is quite so important as the fact you're there with that. So that your, your, your effort and your application it doesn't just come on to hold this a thing in attention, which will tend to, because the mind organ doesn't have feeling. So if you go to the attention faculty alone, the attention faculty doesn't experience feeling. It doesn't experience that, that fluctuating sense of feeling and impression. It just holds something or drops it. So you've really got to lead the, the process of meditation from, from the citta, from the felt sense, from the sense of faith or trust or interest or friendliness, uh, you know, that kind of, that sense, one's inspiration. Why do people meditate, you know? Because of that, isn't it? And the why we meditate comes from the right place to establish meditation and to stay there. then this sets up a particular energy, mood, theme that, that you, you, know, you can sense when you're losing it, when you're getting knotted up, when you're getting cold, when you're going uh, abstract, when you're getting complicated. You lose touch with that. You're losing touch with heart. One of the most important um, external factors, in fact, the most important external factor for spiritual support is spiritual friendship. Kalyana mitta. Or mitta friend, kalyana, admirable, uplifting, trustworthy, you know, that which is good, solid, reliable. Mm. Mm. Because uh, and and one of the, the uh, uh, you know as you look around in the, the Buddhist world, people tend to uh, find a lot of support being in groups. Sangha, the assembly, the coming together, and then what's called the fourfold assembly: the lay people, lay men, lay women, monks, nuns. You know the fourfold, not just the one thing, but a fourfold thing. And each, each of these four folds has got all kinds of individuals within them. You know, 
is something about the multiplicity. Only through multiplicity can you get harmony. Only through diversity can you get harmony. Only through the fact that there's separateness can they come together in harmony. Now, the difference, you see, that the mind will tend to want conformity. Everybody's going to be the same. That's what the mind organ will do that. You know, this is the good monk. You know, this is the good meditator. This is the ideal nun. You know, <laughs> you know, and we want it all to be like this one. But that—that's uh, that's a neurosis. Same old neurosis as, as all these others, uh, seeking the unity, seeking the one thing. The important thing is it's not one thing. It's through the diversity, and the comes an entrainment. It becomes some sense of people working together. I think one of the most, uh, you know, really just kind of common, available experiences that we have that is uplifting is working together. Why we group retreats sitting together, um, you know, eating the meal together, uh, cleaning something together, working together. Of course, you know, and the, there's bound to be also some sense of conflict and diversity, mm. different opinions, different views, that's part of it. But that's, that's part of the process, coming from the, you have complete separateness where there's no conflict because you're not, <laughs> not contacting each other. <laughs> you know, it's your space, it's my space, don't con- contact. Coming together, then there's some sense of, you know, agreement. Also, there's disagreement. That's the difficult bit. because we don't like the disagreement. And then through just working with that, we come into a sense of uh, something that's that's bigger than that, which means, okay, that's the way you see it, this is the way I see it, interesting. But that is not where we stand. We don't take a stand on the differences. We can acknowledge the differences, and yet that quality of acknowledgement, acceptance, trust, allowance... You know, the liberal conscience, you might say, it gives us a feeling of of both our individuality and our sense of friendship and support. And, uh, you know, just like when you're swimming, the arm and the leg are going to be doing different things. It's good they're not doing the same thing. But the whole body is moved by those differences operating together. Hmm? So Kalyanamitta is that. It's not about everybody being the same. It's not about everybody being different. It's about how the differences can no longer be the thing that we emphasize, take a stand on, want to become more distinctly me, want everybody to be the same, or just ignore each other. I'm not in conflict because I don't notice anybody else. That's... (laughs) You know, just shut off altogether, which can be a strategy, you know, because the experience of, of of other people has pleasant, unpleasant feeling to it. You know, and it's kind of confusing sometimes. But that's that's the bit that you part of our main training process, really, in community, 
is just just at that place. Mm-hmm. Where we have to acknowledge, well, my opinion and view is that, but that's all it is, you know. It's not something that one is taking a stand on because we know if you practice Dhamma, any opinion and view is not the final thing. It's, uh, it's not a unity. It's compounded, it's variable, depends. Not a fixed thing. The only, you know, the nearest thing you can get to a fixed view is the understanding that all phenomena are changeable, unsatisfactory, and not self. That gives you plenty of room to move around in, really. <laughs> But it's like learning to swim. You have to learn how to trust that you can let go of these seemingly solid places, the places that we solidify with our craving, with our craving for positions. And it's a very powerful instinct, isn't it? You look at uh, you know most political leaders, their, their, their sense of holding their power, hmm. craving to be that, to be to have power. Hmm. So their opinion is right and true, and their position is right and true, and they are the top of this right and true, and uh, you know the disasters that can come out of that as we're seeing in the world today, this current kind of crisis in the Arab world, these people who felt they had the right to say they were exactly it and right and true and everybody else would just, you know, <laughs> better accept it. And uh, people eventually feeling, well, no, you know, there's got to be some say, some way in which this is more a felt mutual experience, not, uh, you know, where the qualities of mutual respect and the felt feeling sense and the is 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 there, you know. And people will hang on to these positions to the point of death and violence. So it's a very powerful, you know? and we can see the same thing in, in religious beliefs. People would die for a view, kill for a view, have crusades for a view. Mm-hmm. Over a, some theological principle. Six hundred years of conflict between the Orthodox and the Catholic Church over one word, with the filioque, which means "and the Son." So, the Catholics thought that the Holy Spirit came through the Father and the Son. And the Orthodox said, "No, it comes through the Father. Not you know, and the Son comes from the Father. So it's not 
they're not equal. So that over this particular point, which I don't know any, anybody approved one way or another, you couldn't really ask the father. <laughs> or the Son, or the Holy Spirit. But they obviously have a strong view about it. And over this was 600 years of conflict, the um, burning down of Constantinople, several wars, (laughs) over this one word, you know, which somebody felt was obviously very crucial. I think, well, does it matter? And and, uh, who cares? And uh, perhaps there's different ways of looking at it. And how that that search for the final ultimate truth in words doesn't like that sense of ambiguity and well could be and you know different opinions. It sounds too woolly and and uh, not secure and perhaps you know not subject to misinterpretation. So everybody's get it right down there, you know that particular thing. And dreadful, and with that. A complete lack of real awareness of uh, passion, aversion, uh, violence, (laughs) the heart instincts, the heart aspects are completely ignored over the value of the of the word. And this is a sort of human human uh, problem. Mm. So when we we practice and we begin to become. You know, perhaps more, don't know, depends. And that sound, can sound kind of very, very flaky and woolly, but that's, that's the law of Dhamma. The law of Dhamma is that everything depends. There is no such thing as an independent, non-dependent thing. Everything itself is, is compounded of other things. So you look at a, one of these pillars, the wood, Itself is made up of all kinds of fibers and elements and so forth. You just, wherever you go, you just keep coming into diversities, diversities, diversities that are held together through particularly unifying principles. Now, when we cultivate the mind, you just start to, to develop particular uh, principles that are easy to, to know. They're not subject to, to a dispute, they're not difficult ones. A principle of, of uh, kindness, the principle of honesty, the principle of of um, atten- you know of of listening, checking out, called discernment. Now you just keep running that through, and as your mind, you know, whatever the objects are, whatever the thoughts, the feelings, the sensations that are coming through, you just keep coming back to those fundamental principles, how to you know, come out of the lock or the, the splitting off where we avoid it or the freezing, the holding on to, the clamping or you know, that occurs around that, how to keep it open and loose and flowing. And there's a kind of an, an emptying that occurs with that because the objects of the mind are no longer so intensely sensed they're much softer what you sense is much more the overall atmosphere of the mind the the energy of it whether it's uh going limp or tight uh whether your mind is just steady open like that and that's where the unity comes 
the objects of the mind start to fade out. This is the experience of concentration, is the objects of the mind get less and less. So this is where the unity arrives, because you're more focused on the, the, the overall atmosphere, the overall mood, dominant theme. Theme can be one of, where's the singularity? What's, what's the unifying quality of all these things? Not a particular one thing, but a one principle, such as rhythm, breathing, such as the sense of ease, such as, and you look for anything that's not doing that, and you, and you check it out and you start to work on that. Uh, and you come to what is it that's the sense that gives the sense of stillness or steadiness? And you pick up that tune and you keep coming back to that, unifying around that. What is it that has the sense of release, of letting go, of dispassion? And you start to sense that particular theme. And it's like you're running these tunes through the mind. As it does so, it starts to stop creating objects, stop creating thoughts, impressions, memories, tensions, and so forth. And this stopping creating or ceasing you know, is something that we, you know, we've been cultivating. Not to get more and more stuff, to get less and less stuff happening. But it's not through aversion or annihilation. or It's just through things kind of unfolding and dissolving. And the result is a sense of calm that is not about it's not forced or repressive or held but just the calm of a mind that's not you know creating all kinds of stuff so this is something that uh, can be experienced it's in the law of Dhamma the law of the mind the law of karma results and intentions and when you get the sense of that, then you do realize that that process is something you practice in meditation. Also practice it in your daily life. How to have less and less stuff happening, even when things are happening, what you focus on. Keeping the basic themes in mind. Now the themes in your life if, will tend to have an effect. So you start to look towards that which is calming, that which is steady. Your mind doesn't pay attention to that which is, you know, impassioning or confusing or abstract or complicating. Since it just doesn't go there. Hmm? So you build up this field, this is of, of, of karma, you know, Cause of things, places that you live in, you dwell in, and you know that that's has to be part of the practice, because you know when we come out of meditation, if we just go back to the same old patterns again, then you really don't integrate and develop develop what the meditation is trying to show you. You're trying to stay with the themes of the meditation, 
So what is the way of, you know, less complexities? What is the way of less of hostilities, the way of less conflict? How do, how do we operate with that with each other? How do we operate with that in our life? And the results, you know, so the Buddha says if you cultivate in this way, it is impossible that there will be no results, no beneficial results. It is also impossible that the results be anything other than good, giving rise to happiness and welfare. So this is a, you know, something you check out. And it's through relationship, relating to experiences, handling them carefully, seeing what's not necessary. We look towards the future and tend to find, you know, the mind looks for some, one thing to be definite about. What's it going to be? Will, I, will it be this or will it be that? And we look for the one image, idea. Or we dread. What will happen if, you know, I'm blamed or, or sacked or left out or whatever? You know, you get the particular one, one object. And that has a mesmerizing effect. So you just keep checking in any of the mind holds any particular object as a, as a reality. In the future, the past, in yourself or in others, that is a sign of losing balance. It's a good thing to remember because these, the mind throws up these very powerful impressions. The desirable, get that, you know. The undesirable, avoid that. And you, what actually are these these things that the mind creates? You say, well, it's coming out of fear, panic, mistrust, uncertainty, need. You know, where's what's the atmosphere? So, you know, part of the beauty of our life is we trust the presently arising conditions. That's the conditions that are presently arising in the mind. This is all that we have. And you trust them and you know them deeply. It's rather like learning swimming. If you know how to swim, you're bound to get to the other end of the pool. But if you're worrying about how to get to the end of the pool, <laughs> how are you going to do it, how are you going to get there, you probably start panicking and, and sink. <laughs> Yeah. But if you know how to operate the present arising conditions, there's no way in which they won't take you to somewhere good. Yeah. It may be mysterious. You don't know what's at the end of the pool. It won't be what you think it is. But in terms of what you feel in yourself, what you sense in yourself, it will be for your welfare. The external conditions are less important than the internal ones. This is something we learn. So, as an example, this retreat, you know, when you think of a group of 20-odd people living here for three months, 25 people or so, a lot of the time just sitting still, holding the body up, 
not, you know, which sounds really interesting or pleasant, enjoyable, frustrate. Is it rather frustrating actually? Just kind of stuck here, hour after hour, day after day, you know. Well, then you know you get the sense something beautiful about that 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 the that apparently boring, pointless, frustrating, meaningless exercise on an external level can give rise to so much uh, deepening, release, relaxation, enjoyment. That's the that's that's the that's the truth. That's the reality of it. You know, that's the way it's going. So you know you can't see that. Then you get you get the right perspectives. You have to trust in Dhamma. Trust in karma. Trust in the real principles of the of the universe, not in these strange images that the mind can create. So off this for your reflection tonight. <clears throat>